And that really goes with my sermon today pretty well. God is good all the time. That's not exactly my message, but you'll see how it fits in in just a little bit. We're actually in the third week of our sermon series on the book of Daniel. Anybody ever heard of the book of Daniel? We're going to be looking at the third chapter in the book of Daniel, and I'm going to be talking about stress and anxiety. How many have ever felt a little bit of that? How many have ever felt a lot of that sometimes in life? Amen. We all feel stress and anxiety. Well, I remember laying in bed one night. Uh, it was a Saturday night uh, a while back, and uh, I'm a light sleeper. I'm the type of sleeper that can uh, hear an acorn drop out on our deck, and it wakes me up. But I'm laying there, and all of a sudden, I hear a chirp. And then a few seconds later, I hear another chirp. And if you're a homeowner, you know what that chirp is. It's your smoke detector, right? Telling you it's low on batteries. It's your smoke detector freaking you out and trying to ruin your life for the next 10 minutes for sure. And it usually does happen to me on a Saturday night after midnight when I know I've got to get up and preach the next morning. So what do I do? I do what most of us would do. I just pray, God, stop the chirping. (laughs) Well, he could answer that prayer. He didn't. So I get up. I'm going through the house looking at the various smoke detectors, and you know, to find the one that you're after, you got to be almost right under it. So I'm standing there with my underwear. Don't picture that too much, but I'm standing there in my underwear. I'm looking up at that smoke detector, and, and I'm, I'm getting mad. I'm getting angry, and I start reminding God, God, you know I've got to get up and preach tomorrow morning. I'm doing this for you, God. Why can't you let it happen to somebody else? I'm getting angry at the batteries that have gone dead. I'm getting mad at my wife because she could have changed these batteries. She probably wouldn't even need a ladder to do it. She could have changed those batteries. <laughs> but have you noticed, sorry about that, Cheryl, you didn't even know that was coming. Anyway, <laughs> have you noticed when you get stra- uh, stressed and angry, sometimes you start thinking very illog- illogically? It's like I'm ripping out every smoke detector in this house. I'm getting rid of them all. Never have to deal with this again. But then you get the battery changed. Everything's good. You go back to bed, and you're still kind of wound up from being stressed out. Uh, You're laying there. uh, And then all of a sudden, that illogical thinking sets in. You start thinking, well, maybe that was God warning me. I should have checked out the detectors in the basement, and I didn't even do that. There could be a full-blown fire in the basement. Or maybe it's God warning me that there might be something going on out in the barn. What I'm trying to say is we can literally take a circumstance when we're stressed out and freaking out, and we can focus on it so much that that's all we think about, and we take it to the most illogical, illogical place, illogical conclusion possible. How many have ever let your mind run a little bit too wild? Amen. Think of the worst case scenario. Well, stress and anxiety actually happen when things happen in our life that are unplanned and unprepared for. That's when stress hits us, when, when we, hadn't, we didn't see it coming, it wasn't planned for, it was unprepared for. It's like when you walk into your classroom, students, and your teacher says, I hope you're ready for this pop quiz, you didn't see it coming. Or when we get the bill that we weren't expecting, or when uh, your school calls and says, hey, we need to have a sit-down talk about your child. Or maybe when your boss says, before you leave work, uh, could you drop by the office, I've got a couple things I want to talk to you about. We all get stressed out about so many different things, and if you're not stressed out today, amen and praise God for that, but I guarantee you, you will tomorrow or the next day be stressed out, amen? But if you don't have any stress right now, I know an easy way to get stressed. 
Go home, turn on any news channel, turn on any news channel, I don't care what it is, because their whole focus is just to tell you how bad this world is, how bad a shape this world is in. Think about our grandparents. Most of them went through the Great Depression. And I'll say they weren't as stressed out so much because they didn't have a 24-hour news cycle pounding it into them of how broke they were. They knew how broke they were, amen? But they didn't have that 24 news cycle pounding it in, beating home the point. My point is I think so many of us are stressed out by social media and 24-hour news networks because we're faith constantly, bombarded constantly with how bad things are or how bad they're going to get, amen? I mean, that's the world we live in. So I'm not going to tell you how to get out of that because it is the world we live in. But today, my whole message is not about how to get out of it. My message is, how do we get through it? How do you get through the stresses and the things that are overwhelming you, the unplanned and unprepared stuff? Is always, they're always going to happen to us every day of our lives. So it's not how you get out of it. My point is, how do you walk through it? Not how you get out of it, how do you walk through this? You might want to write this first point down, because if you don't get this first point, what I say isn't even going to matter. It's not going to do you uh, really any, any good. But if you want to walk through your trial and find out how to walk through it or your stress, number one, if you're taking notes, realize God is holy and God is good. That will make all the difference. If when you get in a stressful situation, you realize, wait a minute, my God is holy and my God is good. Do you realize that the character of our God never changes? The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The word holy actually means perfect. It means without sin. It means our God has never messed up, and because he's holy, he's good. You know there's only one thing that our God can't do, and that's not be holy. He can't be unholy. God is holy, and because he's holy, he's good. I'm trying to stress that this morning, if you haven't realized that. Because he is so holy, he is so good. Our argument is, wait a minute, if God is so holy and God is so good then why in the world is he allowing me to go through such terrible things in my life? Most of us have asked that question. We've wrestled with that question maybe many times. And if you haven't, you will someday. Some of you maybe have lost a parent at a young age from cancer or some other sickness or illness. You prayed for healing and it didn't work out that way. God took them home to be with him. In those stressful times, if we're not careful, we can have the attitude, God, if you're so good, God, if you're so holy... Why did you let my mom die? Why did you let my dad die? You know, years ago, we had a wonderful woman in the church, a wonderful woman of God who was a spiritual mother to many of us. She died with Alzheimer's. And I don't know if you know what that's like, but it stinks. It was horrible. Her husband would go to the nursing home to see her. He tried to take care of her as long as he possibly could, but when he couldn't any longer, he put her in a nursing home. But when he would go to see her, she didn't know him. She didn't know his name. She didn't know her kids. She didn't know their names. I would go visit her. She didn't know my name and didn't know me. It was horrible. That woman had lost her mind and her memory, didn't know anybody or anything. But if you would go in there and you would mention the name of Jesus, her eyes would light up and she would smile. If you'd sing a song about Jesus, she would try to sing along, sometimes mumble along, but she would try. If you would quote a scripture to her, she would raise her hands and try to praise God. And after those visits, I would go back to my car with tears in my eyes, and I would say, God, I know you're holy, and I know you're good, but why this, God? 
Why does this wonderful woman of God have to go through this? Why does her wonderful husband, a man of God, have to go through this? Let me tell you, it's hard when we get in those times because you can't explain them. Only way I can is we live in a broken world. But it hurts. But I think the reason most of us have, a tr- have troubles and problems with our doubts of God being holy and good is because God isn't doing exactly what we want Him to do, when we want Him to do it, how we want Him to do it. God showed me one time that our circumstances do not alter His character. Our circumstances, no matter how bleak they look, no matter how bad they are, don't alter His character and who He is. You know, any one of us can say God is good when everything is going good, right? But let me tell you, God is still holy and God is still good when life is falling apart. God is still holy, God is still good when nothing is working out. In Matthew 7, chapter 7, verse 9, Jesus himself says this, Which of you, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? That's kind of jacked up right there, a little messed up. But says, if you then, you who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Simple translation is, God can't give you a bad gift. He just can't, because he is good, and because he is holy. You know, a lot of times when all hell breaks loose in our lives, we think, well, God's against me. Sometimes we go as far as thinking, well, this God I serve is not a good God. And why would he do this to me? Or why would he allow this to happen to me? Let me tell you right now, even if things aren't so good, God is still good. Even when things are falling apart, God is still good. He's still holy. Second thing, if you're taking notes, second way to move through your stress is know the promises. Know the promises. If you're in high school and you've got somebody picking on you and bullying you, you'd be real glad that you made friends with the biggest guy in the high school. Amen? And you'd be even more happy to know that he doesn't like the guy that's picking on you. Amen? And you might be real comforted to know that your friend is going to be right there by your side. You might even get a little bold. You might even get a little courageous. But it's not because of who you are. It's because of who you have with you. Are you tracking with me? Do you see how this works with God? We don't need to be afraid because of who we have with us. We don't need to fear. We don't need to stress out because of who we have with us. Here's the promise that we need to realize if we're Christians. If we've accepted Jesus Christ who went to the cross, died on the cross, went to the grave and rose from the grave, if we've confessed Him as our Lord and Savior, here's His promise to everyone that believes in Him. He's with us always. Not just now and then. He's with us always, no matter what circumstance you're going through, whatever stress you're going through. And if you're not a Christian, here's His promise. He wants to be with you. Amen? Listen to what God says in Isaiah 41.10. He says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then Jesus says in Matthew 28, 20, surely I am with you always, even until the end of time. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 and 7, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Sometimes we hear that and we say, wait a minute, uh, Mr. Apostle Paul. Um, I need to be anxious because you don't know my situation. And I'll agree with you there. Apostle Paul does not know our situation. But I disagree with you because God is near and he knows every situation that's going on in your life, no matter how 
uh, bad and how hard it is. He goes on and says, says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So why is it important to know that God is near? It's important to know that His presence is greater than any problem you're facing. Amen? It's good to know that His presence with you is greater than any problem that you're dealing with. Because when you realize it's Him that's with you, when you realize how powerful it is, guess what? You don't have to run away from your problems. You can walk toward your problems. You can walk toward your problems knowing that God is greater and His presence is greater than your problem. The third way, if you're taking notes, to walk through your trial is just give God control. Too many times we try to hold on to the control. How many of you are what I would call type A personality people? You're all about the details. You're all about being organized. You dot every I. You cross every T. You make all these to-do lists, and you're freaked out if you don't get all the things on your to-do list done. And that's because you always want to be in control. If that's you, just be honest and raise your hand. I mean, I have those bouts with that sometime. Now look around the rest of us. These are the people that are the most stressed out today. Amen? <laughs> I kind of set you up on that one. God loves us so much that I believe he constantly reminds us of how little control we really have. When I reflect on the amount of control that we have in this world, it's not much. You didn't control when you were born. You didn't control where you were born. You didn't control where your, uh, who your parents were. You might classify yourself as the best driver in the world, but you can leave here, and somebody else isn't the best driver in the world. They run a red light and crash right into you. We can be out of control. When it comes to it, we have so little control in this world, it really isn't funny. But let me tell you what I do. When I reflect on how little control I have, it makes me want to bend my knee to God, praise Him, and worship Him, because I know if I'm not in control, someone else is. And I have this thankful heart to realize that if I'm not in control, then He's in control. Thank God for His control. Amen? I don't know about you, but that brings me peace. That peace that passes understanding. How many know our human nature really does want to control things? I mean, we do. Some of us take it to the extreme level. Some of you are control freaks. I mean, you get into a car with somebody, and you get in a passenger seat, and you're still trying to drive, right? How many do that brake thing where you're trying to stop the car, putting your foot all the way through the floorboard because you've got to be in control? Today we're going to be talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't know where Daniel is when this story is being written. But Nebuchadnezzar the king, who was a very unstable king, he built an idol. And get this, this idol is 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and it's made out of solid gold. And he goes to everyone in his kingdom and he says, here's what we're going to do. Whenever we play the music, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, you stop what you're doing and you bow down and you worship this idol. And if you don't, you're going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. How many have realized that when you're tempted to do something that you know you shouldn't, the enemy will always be right there to put pressure on you to do it? He knows when you're on that edge, ready to jump across. He knows. He puts pressure on you to follow through. What do we do? We start rationalizing. We start rationalizing our, our thoughts, rationalizing our thoughts. It's kind of like telling ourselves rational lies. Like if your boss tells you to do something unethical at work, you're thinking, well, I know that's wrong, that's unethical, that's dishonest, and it dishonors God. 
But if I don't do it and do something unethical, I might lose my job. Well, that means you're fearing unemployment more than you're fearing the Lord. And a lot of us in the end, we say, well, I'll just do it this one time. I'll do it this one time, and then I'll go home real quick and ask for forgiveness for it. Amen? <laughs> or say you're dating someone that you know you shouldn't be in a relationship with. You fear being single more than you do uh, fear the Lord. So you're going to stay with that person because you're rationalizing the relationship. To simply put it, you make it make sense. How many have pushed and pulled to make something that makes no sense to the spiritual mind, but you make it fit? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this story, they heard the music, but they didn't bow down. Their attitude was, we know our God. We know he's good. We know our God's holy. We know our God is with us, and he's in control. So, king, we're not going to bow down. Well, someone knew they didn't bow down, and they went and tattletailed to King Nebuchadnezzar on these three Hebrew boys. Let me just say this before we go on. Some of you walked in here this morning totally stressed out with the weight of the world on your shoulders. Maybe it's stress in your marriage, on your job, in your school situation, or in other relationships, or you name it. It could be whatever. I want to show you how to get past this this morning according to Scripture. Look what it goes on to say in verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. This is where old King Nebuchadnezzar crosses the line. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? When I read this, I can just picture God on his throne in heaven, taking a double take. What did you just say? You didn't say that, King Nebuchadnezzar. I didn't hear that right, did I? The three Hebrew boys did not bow down. But they were brought before the enemy. King Nebuchadnezzar happens to be the enemy. And he says, I'm going to give you boys just another chance. He actually liked these guys. And I say he liked them not because he was such a good king, but what they could do for his kingdom. These were very bright guys. And he says, we're going to give you one more chance. We're going to play the music one more time. And if you'll bow down and worship, awesome. That'd be great. But if you don't, we're going to throw you into the furnace and nothing's going to save you. Have you noticed that the enemy always tries to control us with fear, intimidation, and manipulation? Fear and anxiety come when the unplanned and the unprepared for things happen in our life. And you know what happens when we get focused on our circumstances and not on Christ? We're not going to beat the problem. You can't focus on your problem and still focus on Christ because that leads to fear, stress, and anxiety in your life. But if we focus on Christ in the midst of our problem, not when you get out of the problem, but in the midst of your problem, allow us to walk in the freedom that God has called us to walk in. It will actually allow us to be the people that God has called us to be. We all have an enemy. The Bible says he's the father of lies. We all have an enemy, and his goal is to kill, steal, and destroy, and he always tries to get us to be overcome by our overwhelming circumstances. So listen to this. What you listen to, what you pay attention to, will ultimately determine what you end up doing. The choices you make, the decisions you make. If you're focused on the voice of the enemy, you're going to be controlled by fear. 
If you're focused on the voice of God, you're going to be controlled by faith. There's no middle ground. There's no in-between. It's one or the other. So my best advice I could give you is to get God's Word, not just in your head, but get it in your heart. Because the Word of God in action can shatter the enemy, can shatter the power of the enemy. Jesus was the greatest example of that of all. Remember when he went out into the wilderness, he was tempted by Satan three times, and every time, what did he do? He quoted Scripture. He hit him back with the Word. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. So when the voice of the enemy comes to attack us, the Bible tells us to take those thoughts captive. Take every thought captive unto the obedience of of Christ. Do you realize the enemy does not want us to focus on Christ? Definitely not. He wants to keep us in bondage with fear and with anxiety. Look at how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. A lot of times we say things like this when everything is going good, right? We do. We say things when everything is smoothing, uh, smooth sailing. The question Jesus has given every one of us today isn't, will you follow me when times are good? It's flat out. If you back it up a little bit, will you just follow me, period? Will you just follow me? And this next verse is one of the most amazing verses of strength you'll find in the Bible. It's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing before the king who has issued this horrible decree. And they're looking at him and they're saying, King, we're not going to bow down. God is able. Our God is able to save us from this furnace. But I love verse 18. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Their attitude is still, our God is great. Our God is good. Our God is with us. Our God is near. He's able, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to your idols. We're not going to bow down to you. We're willing to go into that fiery furnace. How many would say without even thinking, that's a lot of faith? That's a lot of strength in faith. You know, if this was a movie, you'd probably see God riding in on a white horse and rescuing these guys. Well, it's not a movie, and he didn't rescue them like that. Look how the story goes on in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace, get this, heated seven times hotter than usual. That furnace was already hot, but he ordered it to be heated up seven times hotter than usual. I think this is a real lesson for every one of us. You may have a stressful situation going on in your life. You may leave here, and maybe it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And maybe it's not going to just get a little bit worse. Maybe it's going to get a whole lot worse, seven times worse. Whatever you're dealing with, the furnace might get turned up seven times hotter. Maybe at your workplace seven times hotter. Maybe with the situation with your child. Maybe seven times hotter at school. Maybe seven times hotter in your marriage. And I don't mean that in a good way, amen? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing everything right. The furnace still got heated up seven times. Let me tell you, we can be doing everything right in our lives and God still allows the furnace to get heated up seven times hotter because God's going to do something with that heat. Amen? God's going to do something. Verse 20. And it says, And command some of the strong, he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. 
So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. I think we could all agree that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a pretty unbelievable trial. Unimaginable trial. The fourth way you can walk through your trial is to open your eyes. Take time to look, to see what you need to see. I know at home we've got this pantry in our kitchen, and my wife has it stocked from floor to ceiling with groceries and different things in there. She knows where everything is in there and what it is. I don't have a clue where anything is or what it is in there. She can pull out of that pantry enough to make a whole meal of things I didn't even know was in there. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I wander out into the kitchen and I open up the refrigerator door. I'm just after ketchup, and I can't find the ketchup. And I'm hollering. Cheryl might be out in the backyard, and I'm standing there for three to five minutes, and I'm just looking for the ketchup, and I'm hollering, Cheryl, we're out of ketchup. She goes, no, there's ketchup in there, and I'll open the back door. Cheryl, we're out of ketchup. No, it's in there. I know it is. I'll look again, and you stand there for another three to five minutes. Can't find the ketchup. Pretty soon, you hear the door open. She walks in and gives you that eye roll, gives you that smile. It's like, I love you, but dang, you're a dumber than a box of rocks. Amen. <laughs> And without even looking, she reaches in there and pulls out the ketchup. Just produces the ketchup. Why could she do that, or how could she do that? Because she was prepared to see it. She actually was the one that put it in there, so she knew where it was. My point is, you really do see what you're prepared to see. You really do see what you're ready to see. It turns out to be kind of that way with King Nebuchadnezzar in this story. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. Now, back then, kings didn't leap to their feet for anything, for any reason. But he's watching this whole thing. Let's just imagine him watching it on the jumbotron. And he asked his advisors, uh, weren't there three men that we tied up? And don't miss this part. Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? His advisors replied, certainly, your majesty. That's what we did. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire. And you ought to underline this, how they were walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. It was this fourth guy that this king couldn't get over. We know who this guy was. We know that it was Jesus Christ. Old King Nebuchadnezzar thought he had won the battle when he put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. Our enemy thinks he's won the battle when he throws us into the fiery furnaces of life. But I can just imagine King Nebuchadnezzar. He's watching how this thing plays out. Then he's looking through that peak hole. And he's saying, one, two, three, four. What in the world's going on? Wait a minute. And he says, oh, Cletus, get over here. How many guys did we throw in the furnace? We threw in three. Well, who's the other guy in the furnace? And don't miss this. This is so important. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't see Jesus until they got in the midst of their fiery trial. They didn't see him. He didn't show up until they got in the midst of their furnace. That's so important to remember because if you're in a fire today, no matter what it is, we need to stop praying, Jesus, get me out of this fire. We need to start praying, Jesus, show me who you are in this fire. Amen? Because he's trying to reveal himself in a way that you could never or you've never seen before. And many times we don't see him clearly until we get that furnace heated up seven times and find ourselves in the middle of it. And he does love us enough to allow us to go through the fire to get our attention. 
And you're only going through the fire because he's trying to reveal a part of himself that you've never seen before. In a way, you've never seen it before. So our prayer needs to be, Jesus, let me see you. Not take me out of here, Jesus, but let me see you. Let me understand what you're trying to show me in this fire. And basically, he's saying, open your eyes. I'm right here. Do you realize that no matter what fire you're in, what furnace you're in, that Jesus is in that fire with you? If you don't realize that yet, hopefully before I finish, you will. But my last point is embrace the grace. When you get in a stressful situation, embrace the grace that God provides. Listen how this story wraps up. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Wasn't this the same guy that was just trash-talking God a few scriptures earlier? Now he's saying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. He's changed his tune a little bit. Amen? Listen, non-Christians are watching how you and I go through our fiery trials. Do you realize that? Non-Christians are watching how we handle, how we respond to the fires that we go through in life. And how we walk through our fires in life is going to teach them more than any theology class ever could. And people that don't know Jesus are going to come to know Jesus through the way that you walk through the fire. Through the way that you and I walk through the fire... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the perfect example of that because it changed Nebuchadnezzar's heart. It changed his life. He says, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. They they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. Remember this, a fire that's seven times hotter hadn't harmed their bodies nor was a hair on their heads even singed. You know that's a miracle, right? Especially you ladies. How many of you have ever uh, burnt your hair with a curling iron or a flat iron or something like that? It stinks. Amen. It literally stinks. It says their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. There wasn't even a hint of smoke on their beings. No smell of fire. You know, and I don't even think they have them anymore, but they used to have smoking and non-smoking sections in restaurants. Remember those days? And they had this invisible barrier between the two. It didn't help. You walked out of there smelling like you smoked three or four packs. But remember how I said they came out of the fire? This is so important. They came out unbound and unharmed. Unbound and unharmed. The only thing that was burned up in that fire was the things that the enemy had tried to put on them in the first place. Do you realize them? Realize that? He had them bound. Their bindings burned off. They were set free, unbound and unharmed. Look at verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This guy immediately turned into a worshiper. First of all, he's saying, Hey, there is no God. He's not a real God. And now he's saying, Praise Jesus. He's saying, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. What a change of heart. What an incredible change of heart that the king had. It says in verse 30, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What I'm trying to say through this, when you go through the fire, God's not trying to punish you. He's actually trying to promote you. 
He's not trying to put you down. He's actually trying to lift you up. He's trying to encourage you. He's trying to pull you through, no matter what you're dealing with. Last week, when the king's dream was interpreted by Daniel, he actually was elevated. He was promoted. Daniel was promoted. Well, this week, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are being promoted. God's not trying to punish you when you're in the fire. He's trying to promote you. You know, we may not understand God's ways, and we usually don't, but we have to trust Him, and we have to embrace His ways. We have to trust Him and embrace the freedom that He's called us to walk in, and this is the point I want to leave you with. How many guys walked into that fire? Three. How many guys were in the fire? How many guys came out of the fire? My mother-in-law, mother-in-law got that one wrong. Three guys came out of that fiery furnace. What's that tell us? One guy's still in the furnace. One guy's still in the furnace, and I think we know who I'm talking about. Jesus Christ is still in the furnace, and he's ready for us. Whenever we run into our fiery trials, he's waiting there to be the fourth man in the fire. Some of you walked in here today all stressed out with the worries and the weights of the world on your shoulders. Overwhelmed, dominated by Crazy thoughts and crazy things. I want you to know God is holy. And God is good. And you don't have to live that way another day. You don't have to carry the weight of that burden another day. Could you stand to your feet this morning? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't walk into that furnace by themselves. They had Jesus. And they had each other. Let me tell you, if you think you're in your fiery furnace by yourself, let me tell you, first of all, you have Jesus. And second of all, you have us. You have this church. If you need help, if you're struggling, you need to talk to somebody, you need to have somebody pray for you, I'm going to tell you, don't let it slide another day. Come and see me. Maybe see the next person next to you. We won't condemn you. We won't discourage you. We won't put you down. We've all been there. But we'll pray for you. And we'll encourage you to keep your focus where it needs to be upon the fourth man in the furnace. Upon Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. With every head bowed right now. Lord Jesus, we trust you to be our fourth man in our fiery furnaces of life. Father, I pray that you would help us to hold fast to our faith when tests and trials come. And when we're overwhelmed by our circumstances. Help us to know that you're right there with us. Help us to realize that we need to let you control things and help us to stand on your promises. Help us to open our eyes and see your grace and your goodness each and every day that we live. Father, help us to be a help to one another. We thank you that we have you, but help us to have each other. Change our hearts. If they're not in the right place today, Lord God, I pray that you would do a spiritual internal change within us, that we would reflect who you are in our lives each and every day. We trust you. We thank you that you're leading and guiding us. Even when we go into those furnaces, we're not alone. We're with you. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And could we give him just a clap of praise to glorify our God, our King of kings, and our Lord of lords. Hallelujah. God bless you all. Go out and change the world for Jesus. Amen.